She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. My goal for the Palestinian people would be to live in peace, to live in prosperity, to have the dignity of a state, to have freedom, and they can achieve it any morning they are prepared to say Israel has a right to exist, and we recognize that we're going to live side by side, but the political leadership would never tolerate that. The Democrats are not mm. searching for the truth. The Democrats are, are searching to derail, delay, destroy, win the Senate back, and then stop this from happening. I mean, that's what they're seeking. We owe it to the American people to underscore that you're innocent until proven guilty. It's the Senate that's on trial here, Mr. President. What kind of image will we convey to the public? And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here today. We have uh, this hour, Tom Zipping. He's from the Heritage Foundation. He's going to come on and talk to us about the Supreme Court. And this is super important stuff. We're going to hear from an expert about uh, the power that the Supreme Court has and whether or not that's appropriate. We are also going to be talking about right now, we're going to turn to another subject that is not getting as much airtime, but is actually something that I thought was pretty funny, which is John Bolton telling the truth about the people of Palestine. So if you haven't really done any research or you're not really like this, is not something that you specifically care about unless it's a subject coming out of the president's mouth, you might not realize that the Palestinian people, quote unquote, um, Palestine was a territory of the Ottoman Empire. Palestinians themselves are actually a conglomeration of peoples. They're Arabs. They're from Syria and Jordan and, and other Arab nations. So as a particular people group, it is something that is a, a recent formation. In other words, you know, not like Ethiopians or uh you know, Nordic people. It's not like there's, this is a people group stretching back millennia. And so there's this idea that they have these rights and that we have to do all of these things because they deserve the same things that Israelites have. And John Bolton just wasn't trying to hear it. And I thought it was kind of funny that the reporter got so triggered when he made a statement. Is that helpful? Um, I, you know, I guess I can say this because I'm not a man, but she just sounded like somebody who she lectures people a lot. Like she nags you and in like that background way. And then she lectures you after she's nagged you. She sounds like that kind of person. Her face, everything, the mannerisms, all of it were just like it was it was terrible. And he was not having it. So here he is. It's John Bolton triggering this reporter by telling the truth about, quote unquote, Palestine. It's number one. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. You just uh, addressed Palestine and said it is a so-called state. Is that language productive in achieving the it's president's? Accurate. So, but the president recommitted to um, the, the president in New York City, as you know, recommitted his goal to achieving a two-state solution. That's right. So, um, is using that sort of language productive in his goal? Yeah, sure, of course. It's not a state now. It does not meet the customary international law test of statehood. Uh, it doesn't control defined boundaries. Uh, it doesn't fulfill the, the normal functions of government. There are a whole host of reasons why it's not a state. It could become a state, as the president said, but that requires 
diplomatic negotiations with Israel and others. So calling it the so-called State of Palestine defines exactly what it has been, a position that the United States government has pursued uniformly uh, since 1988 when the Palestinian Authority declared itself to be the State of Palestine. We don't recognize it as the State of Palestine. We have consistently, across Democratic and Republican administrations, opposed the admission of Palestine uh, to the United Nations as a state because it's not a state. So do you get what he's saying here? Do you, do you, it's, it's not about whether or not it's productive. It's about telling the truth. And I wish we had more people who were in elected office, who wanted to tell the truth. It's not about being productive. It's about telling the truth first. So I believe that one of the prerequisites for being productive is to tell the truth. Once you've told the truth, then you can ultimately be much more productive than if you're dealing in euphemisms and stroking other people's egos and, and kind of making them feel better about a situation that's really filled with pockmarks from, from uh, rockets being shot over the border and issues having to do with the validity of the original claim. It has not done us any good over the intervening decades of hand-holding a group of people who've declared they are a state, but they have no territory, and then watching as they demand territory from a state that they hate, that they feel is invalid, that they don't want to see exist, namely Israel. But don't take it from me. I love this flashback. Remember when Newt Gingrich ran for president? And I don't know about y'all, but I had my popcorn, poptions, it was poppycock, it was any kind of amazing flavored popcorn that I could get. And I would sit with, we, there's one friend of mine in particular who loves to host uh, the debate parties and stuff like that. And we'd go to her house and she'd set out a few hors d'oeuvres on her coffee table and we would just sit, all of us women packed in there. And it was like football for guys, only it was political football for us chicks. And those debates were, first, the debate watching parties were of legend. Like, she'll never, ever be able, none of us will forget watching those at her house. And the other thing that was really interesting about it is that we would, as we're sitting there doing our thing, you know, enjoying ourselves, we would just be ultimately so entertained by Newt Gingrich because he just wasn't flappable. Dude has no, he has no ability to be upset other than righteous indignation by anything that anyone would say. So he dropped this truth bomb on the so-called, what he called so-called Palestinian people. It's number two. Well, I believe that the Jewish people have the right to have a state. And I believe that uh, the commitments that were made at a time, remember, uh, there, were, there, were, there was no Palestine as, as a state. It's part of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and I think that uh, we've had an invented Palestinian people. Uh, who are in fact Arabs and were, and were historically part of the Arab community. And they had a chance to, to go many places. And, and uh, for a variety of political reasons, uh, we have sustained this, this war against Israel now since uh, the 1940s. And I think it's tragic. And the other thing that's tragic about it is that there is this insistence on us continuing to go forward in that direction. We, I mean, we don't have to do anything. We can do whatever we want. We continue to do it. It continues to be a priority because certain factions within the U.S. Uh, seem to think that it will um, benefit us somehow. And I just don't see it. I don't see the benefit to America. And in a new Trump doctrine where America's benefits come first, I, I think it's worth taking another look at. 
I, it remains to be seen whether or not that will happen. Let's go to the phones. We have Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, from, <laughs> from Nebraska for joining the show. <laughs> hey, Stacy. This is Arnold from Nebraska, your old Air Force vet buddy. Oh, Arnold. Okay. I have Aaron in the call screen software. Sorry about that. Arnold, <laughs> thank you so much for calling the show. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you. Once again, great show. Doing a bang-up job, Stacey. Oh, my gosh. This is great. Thank hey, you. Kind of, oh, you're most welcome. Hey, just want to let you know um, something I noticed about this, this complete FBI investigation that the Democrats, with the help of Jeff Flake, so wanted badly. Mm-hmm. They said that the FBI need to go back in and reinvestigate the allegations. Well, that already happened. Back on the 12th of September, President Trump ordered the FBI to investigate the allegations about the sexual, the sexual things that Ford brought forward. That seemed to get went under the radar. People seem to forget forgotten about that. If you do a Google search, I'm on my car, so I can't actually send you the link. But there are news reports about President Trump ordering the FBI to do an investigation on it. That already started back on the 12th. So when the, when the Democrats and Flake started to scream about, yo, the FBI needs to investigate, and they came up with this compromise thing that was supposed to be limited in time and scope, they didn't know the FBI was already investigating it. Hmm. And so what, what came out, all the, when the FBI said, hey, there's nothing new, They've already investigated that portion of it, but the investigation was much larger in scope. Because now the reports are coming out about Senator Feinstein being investigated, as well as other folks with relation to this, um, the, the Ford allegations. Wow. Okay, I'm searching for it now to see that the, the ones that are coming up are the, the ones from last Friday's order uh, for that investigation. Um, yeah, what I have to do, and I'm sorry, I do apologize. I'm in my car right now, and I got the links on my laptop. But once I get to my workplace, I can. You probably need to follow up on it either tomorrow or or Monday. But I'll send you the link of the actual news report. Absolutely, says, that, that would be fantastic because yeah. I'd love to see that. And and um, I I also I just think it's worth pointing out, um, Arnold, that one of the things that we've all been open to is information that either exonerates. Judge Kavanaugh or incriminates him, but we want some kind of definitive proof. In, in other words, it's not that nobody wanted to see anything that would prove that he did something. It's that we wanted to see proof one way or the other. Am I right about that? Because I, I, I've actually had people accuse me, well, you wouldn't even believe it if there was proof. I would. If there was proof, I would definitely change my mind here. Right. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I tell folks, lies are quick to come out, but the truth will come out. Surely, uh, Surely but surely, it will come out, and it's impartial. And wherever it falls, if, if, if he is in fact guilty, then we need to deal with that. If she's lying, then we need to deal with that too. But do people have the courage to face the truth? Mm. Well, I do. I, I do. I, it was, even if it would be that it would be detrimental, I'd rather have the truth. Um, but so far, it's, there are no allegations. So how do you see this cracking out? Apparently, once cloture has matured or ripened, then 30 hours of debate open up. Do you, there's no filibuster, so they can't, they can't hold this out uh, you know, for, for days and days and days. H- how do you see this ending? Do you see them co- voting to confirm? Will they have the votes? Yes. I, I, I believe with all my heart he's going to be confirmed. Because then, I, I, like you, Stacey, I look at it from a higher perspective. I look at it from a, 
from a kingdom perspective to see all this come about. And it's just amazing to me. It really is amazing to me to see. Of course, I have a little insight, too. Part of this is part of my background, so I kind of have a slight advantage. But this is just amazing to me how it's all unfolding. And, and of course, my foundation is the king anyway. So I try to look at it from his perspective, try to be neutral and impartial. And it's just amazing how it's all just unraveling. It is. I, I see it as being one of those things where we have... Uh, we have an opportunity to kind of go by the natural and blow this way and that way and feel really badly about it. Or we can just stand on the true principle that innocent until proven guilty. And that in the end, um, this is president Trump's nomination to make it. It's his choice to, to, to take here and, um, and just go forward, just pray for the Kavanaugh's pray for the opportunities that, that they have um, to come through this thing. Thank you so much, Arnold. It's great to talk to you. All right, so we're going to be, um, of course, continuing on with this as we move through the program. Uh, we have Tom Jipping coming on next segment. He's going to, from the Heritage Foundation. He's going to be talking with us about the fight over Kavanaugh and how it proves that the Supreme Court has grown too powerful. And uh, I just, mm, 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 mm. I wonder how we dial it back. It, it sometimes it does feel as if, you know, obviously we have our faith, but in the natural, it feels as if there just isn't a way to slow down the train. Like the train is, is in runaway mode and there's no way to get to the front car and pull the brake uh, to, to not just slow things down, but to bring conversation back to a normal level. And there's so much value in us being able to just disagree but when evil has risen up to the level that it has and has been validated and, and, you know, one of the things that I find most crazy about right now is how many videos you can find online of not men, but women. Now, there is a video you can find it at the Free Beacon, freebeacon.com, of a male abortion supporter kicking the stuffing out of a pro-life woman, a man assaulting a woman over a political view. But more than that, you can find all of these videos of women, actual women, not women who just say they're women, but women yelling, spit coming out of their mouths, their finger, their middle finger sometimes is up in the face of the person that they're yelling. Sometimes they're yelling at big, burly, grown men. I mean, like enraged, lunatic, spider monkey type behavior. And that this is the new political norm coming from the left. We'll be right back. Stay there. What if I told you that you could clean your family's laundry and help reach the next generation at the same time? That opportunity is here through a company called Redeem Clean. Every time you use Redeem Clean products, you help support the Ministry of the American Family Association. In addition to your regular AFA giving, Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent allows you to increase your support of AFA just by continuing to wash your family's clothes. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made in the USA. And they were developed exclusively for the support of the American Family Association. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more, find options, 
and order Redeem Clean products at afastore.net. That's afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. If you want to see how crazy the culture wars have become, you need to look no further than Bert and Ernie on Sesame Street. On a fairly regular basis, viewers and political activists have asked if these two are homosexual. The standard response from the program is that they're puppets and they are merely portraying two best friends on the program. Unfortunately, that standard answer wasn't acceptable to some. Mark Salzman was the scriptwriter for Sesame Street in the 1980s and 1990s. He explained that he always imagined Bert and Ernie as loving partners since he had a similar relationship with a homosexual man. The Sesame Workshop issued its usual response and ended with the explanation that they remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation. Well, I think you can imagine what happened next. The Twitter universe went crazy, arguing that the seemingly innocuous statement was insulting and homophobic. After all, some argued Sesame Street had no problem showing a romantic relationship between Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. You can also probably imagine how the leadership at Sesame Street reacted. No longer can you find the original statement about puppets. Instead, they promoted their belief that Sesame Street has always stood for inclusion and acceptance. Apparently, identity politics has entered even into children's education and entertainment programs. What's next? Bert has yellow felt for skin. Does that mean he may be Asian? Ernie has orange felt for skin. Does that mean he might be Hispanic? And if you think that's a silly argument to make, consider the controversy that erupted simply by saying that Bert and Ernie are felt puppets and do not have a sexual orientation. In a world of tribalism, every tribe has to be represented on every TV program, and that's why we're having a culture war over something as simple as a puppet show. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. so much for being with us and thank you for uh, knowing that we do live radio here so you know live radio it is exactly what it sounds like <laughs> so uh head over to stacyontheright.com and hit the subscribe button and thank you for being here today we have tom shipping of the heritage foundation coming on to join us right now tom thank you for joining us today well thanks for having me yeah i'm i so First off, Kavanaugh, the whole thing that's going on. Um, where do you see this going on Saturday? Well, I think where it's at right now is that the, the FBI has finished this second part of its background check on Judge Kavanaugh. And it's important to point out that's what they're doing. This is not a second, separate, uh, unique investigation. This is simply a supplement to the background check that the FBI does on every nomination. Uh, this part of it focused specifically on a couple of the sexual misconduct allegations, but they've completed that work and they've provided the result of that work, which is simply summaries of the interviews that they did. They've provided that to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, 
throughout the day today, members of the committee and other senators have had the opportunity uh, directly to read those uh, summaries so that they have this additional information. Tomorrow, the Senate will vote on uh, a motion to end debate. They, they have a funny term called invoke cloture, but it really means end debate. That, that vote will happen probably late morning, maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And then the final confirmation vote will happen Saturday uh, early afternoon, and I believe he will be confirmed. Now, you believe he will be confirmed based on Mitch McConnell, Speaker McConnell's, or sorry, Leader McConnell's statement that he has the 51 votes, or based upon some of the things you've seen in the news just today? Well, I, I believe that uh, really all along, there's been a very small number of senators who have been uh, considered undecided. And on the Republican side, that includes Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Jeff Flake. Uh, two of those three, Senator Collins and Senator Flake, have already said positive things with regard to um, the consistent result of this part of the investigation, that there remains no corroboration whatsoever for the allegations against Kavanaugh. And I think Senator Murkowski will do the same. Now, what I, I think we probably won't get more than one Democrat. And I think that's too bad because someone who is so well qualified mm. and who has been so obviously abused in this confirmation process ought to get far more than simply one vote on the Democratic side. But I think it's clear there's been a small number of senators who have focused on uh, doing uh, what Senator Flake referred to as due diligence. They, they felt that this extra step of this uh, FBI background check was important. It's been completed. It hasn't revealed any evidence for the allegations, and I think that will be satisfied for them. Thank you for that. I'm, I was interested in your take on how it was going to crack out. I'm, I'm, I actually think it would go a long way towards kind of unifying Americans if a bunch of the Democrats in recognition of the terrible ordeal that Judge Kavanaugh and his family have gone through, voted for him because it doesn't hurt them at all because the, the Republicans have the vote. So it's it's really not a matter of, of stopping it. It would be a matter of them kind of acknowledging I'm voting for the nomination because of the process that he's been through and because it's been so unfair. But I guess if they did that, wouldn't that damage their ability to use this tactic again in the future? Because this they, they attempted this on Judge Clarence Thomas. It worked well on Herman Cain. It destroyed his presidential uh, hopes. And they, they tried to execute it on Judge Kavanaugh, and it's not worked. But I, I imagine they'll resurrect this same method again in the future. Yeah, this, this is a tactic, and, and this is sort of a field exercise, uh, you know, to, to sharpen their ability to use this tactic. Um, they don't care about the effect that this has on, on, a, on a nominee like Brett Kavanaugh. They, they care about the effectiveness of the tactic. And um, there's multiple objectives that Democrats have here. One, one, of course, would be to try to defeat the nomination. I don't think that's been in the cards from the beginning. But other objectives, they, they want to be able to use this episode and use these allegations uh, I'm, I'm watching C-SPAN live right now on the Senate floor. Senator Tom Udall of New Mexico was there and just a minute ago. He said that this episode and these allegations really sparked, you know, uh, or changed the national discussion about sexual violence. Um, 
that's the kind of thing that they want to use. They want to use the issue. It really isn't about her accusations, the truth, you know, of the facts, but they want this to create an issue that they can use for a longer-term political agenda. I find that to be pretty shameful, um, but I, I also I, I understand as a tactic they, they have to preserve it for future use. Do you see it working? Um, I, I, last question on this particular vein, but do you see that working in the actual midterm election where r- voters are driven to the poll because they genuinely believe that Judge Kavanaugh is a, a sexual assault, uh, you know, he, he, that he's a predator? And that he's getting onto the Supreme Court illegitimately, or do you see most Americans kind of seeing this for what it was? Well, I think that the that's the open question is what the impact here will have beyond getting him confirmed. And I, as I said, I think he will be. But mm-hmm. it, the sort of spillover effect of this and the midterm election, I, I, it's my feeling that if it has an impact, it'll it'll be more toward energizing Republican voters in some key individual Senate races. It it doesn't necessarily have a national effect, Mm -hmm. but in some individual Senate races, uh, I think this is going to energize Republican voters and and get them to the polls when they might have stayed home otherwise. You may have heard that Senator Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota Mm -hmm. has said she's now going to vote against Kavanaugh, and a lot of the speculation here, since she's behind in the polls, a lot of the speculation here in Washington is that She's essentially conceding uh, her Senate race that uh, she's not going to win anyway, so she may as well let what her she wants. more mm. liberal tendencies come out. So we'll we'll see in just a few weeks, you know, what, what impact that's going to have on the midterm elections. I think because Democrats so overplayed their hand in their assault on Judge Kavanaugh, it, it may come back to bite them. I hope it does. I... I... I yeah, I I don't want to get giddy too quick. I just definitely think that there's got to be some kind of a backlash for it. And and if it was if the shoe was on the other foot and it turned out that the FBI investigated and found, you know, credible support for the allegations, I would be severely chastened and have to remove my support. You know what I mean? It's like there's there's a mm-hmm. there's a way that I that I would have had to you know, admit, look, this this is something terrible, and I'm. What, and you know that that's an important observation. We've heard now all day from Democrats who they know that the investigation did not produce what they had hoped: the smoking gun, the proof, you know, that he committed sexual misconduct. But if the same investigation done exactly the same way, if the FBI had talked to the exact same people, and some of that evidence had come out. Democrats would be the first ones to be praising the FBI for doing such a thorough, credible, independent job. Mm-hmm. That tells you the hypocrisy of what's going on here. It's not that they think anyone's hiding anything. They just don't like what the truth is. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing played out now all day here in Washington. I kind of think it's funny that they've even admitted earlier this week, Cory Booker said it didn't matter. what It doesn't matter. that The fact is we just need a new nominee, which... They don't really need a new nominee because another nominee would come from the same list, would have the same kinds of qualifications and would be a, a constitutional, you know, a constitutionalist, a textualist, a, you know, someone yep. who believes in the Constitution. And they would have the same problems with that person. Um, well, okay, the reason, so look, the reason. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I apologize. I, I didn't want to cut you off. But please go on. Well, the, the reason that we're in the situation that we are is because the debate about that, which you were just describing, that's the key issue. 
is what kind of justice someone is going to be. Are they going to be an activist or a constitutionalist, uh, political or impartial? That's the debate that we should be having, but that's the debate that Democrats and liberals know they cannot win. And that's why they'll avoid talking about that at all costs and take out these kinds of tactics to try to smear and destroy someone. Well, speaking of smearing and destruction and tactics, you uh, the, the, the subject that we're on veers off into another larger kind of overarching issue. And, and we've actually discussed this a little bit before on the program, but I, I'm just interested in your take on the, the, how this fight points to the utter command and control nature that the Supreme Court has kind of adopted in the absence of Congress leading through creating legislation that gets signed into law by the president. Sure. I think um, it, it, the, if, the, if the Supreme Court specifically, if the judiciary generally um, operated more in the design that America's founders had in mind, if, if they weren't nearly as powerful as they are, there wouldn't be nearly as much at stake with the appointment of every single judge. I, I don't think that's only because Congress has not necessarily done its job. And whether Congress does its job or not, the Supreme Court or the judiciary still has to stay within its proper constitutional bounds. That said, though, uh, I remember that uh, Justice Antonin Scalia, for whom I used to work, he spoke at my alma mater, my law school at the State University of New York, several years ago and said, you know, if, if, this, if the judiciary has all of this control over the Constitution, well, every appointment to the Supreme Court is going to be like a plebiscite on how to interpret the Constitution, and we're going to have to go through this all over again. The, the founders of our country sought to avoid that by a design that had a judiciary that was much more modest, much more limited in, uh, in the kind of power that it had. And if we could go back to that, we wouldn't see this kind of spectacle played out. So how do we go back to that? I I, I love go, the the words. Let's go back to that. What the founders intended, because, because they're the genius of what they did when they were coming about to the place where we have the representative republic is that they tried a few other things first. They actually looked back over history and saw where pitfalls would happen in certain kinds of government, and what they came up with was a res, as a result of an intensive research process, trial and error, and the ultimate truth about human beings, which is human beings vote to their own self-interests, even when those self-interests put other people in a state of servitude or, or even you know threaten their lives, put them in jeopardy. So they had to find some way to balance all of that. So you have this really complex system that we currently have, but we're getting away from what they gave us. We're now in a, in, we're in a re- weird zone with this, this current thing. Well, the level of understanding that our fellow citizens have about our system of government in general, and certainly the judiciary in particular, uh, is is near zero. I mean, I think about 40% of Americans uh, can't name any of the three branches of government. I saw a poll where over 20% of Americans think the three branches of government are the Republican, Democrat, and Independent branches. Uh, 10% of 10% of college graduates believe that Judge Judy is currently on the Supreme Court. So, you know, the, we're talking basic civics education. The, the, the bottom line is this. If we believe that the liberty we enjoy is the result of a design, uh, that there's certain ingredients that go into 
you know, producing that goal, uh, then we've got to make sure that people understand what that design is and what those ingredients are, so that if they really want to keep that liberty, if they want to, you know, defend it, they've got to make sure that those ingredients are in place. Uh, it, it has to do with education, and it has to do with just a conviction as to what those ideas mean. I mean, I went to law school, and it took two courses in the Constitution, never had to read the Constitution. Uh, and when I think back to when uh, the founders of our country wanted to get people on board with supporting the Constitution, what did they do? They wrote essays that were published in newspapers called the Federalist Papers, explaining what those principles were. We ought to try that again. Mm, I would love that. You know, one of the things that... So I have a friend who uh, got a degree in political science and her professors had her reading all of the Federalist Papers. And she would sometimes email into this little group we were in and she would like expound on just one little subject and she'd say, per Federalist Paper, you know, blah. And I was thinking, oh, I had to take the time to read those. Now, to my own horror, I have not, and this was a few years ago, but what you're suggesting is that instead of people writing emotional-based op-eds where they pull a couple of statistics from their favorite website, people would literally have to prove that the thing that they're trying to get people to come on board with is something that goes back to what the founders intended. Wouldn't that equalize the playing field and take the emotional, you know, demographic-based rhetoric out of it? It'd be fantastic. It, it, it would do that in part, and it would also focus the attention on what the debate is supposed to be about. It's not a matter of what do you want judges to do. The question is, what are judges supposed to do? Judges aren't free to do anything they jolly well please. Again, this is by design. It, it, it's, you know, there was a, a question asked of uh, Judge Kavanaugh, is this a job interview? And, and for, there are some reasons why it's not. But the debate over judges is, is really the debate over a job description, over how much power judges are supposed to have. And we really ought to be debating that. Not whether Brett Kavanaugh threw some ice cubes at somebody in 1985 or, you know, that kind of nonsense. We ought to be debating on whether judges should have to follow the Constitution or whether judges can control the Constitution. Mm. Those are the kind of debates that we ought to be having. And again, liberals know they can't win that debate, so they try all this other stuff. Uh, Perfect. Thank you so much. Tom Jipping of the Heritage Foundation. Fantastic to have you on today, sir. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, So we will be back with more. Stay right there. take to live an uncommon life. Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Woody Allen is quoted as saying, 80% of success in life is just showing up. Some of the best times with family are unplanned. The times when you're just present, when you show up. When I was coaching, too often the demands of my job stole time from my family. Sometimes it was unavoidable, Other times, I simply scheduled too much of my time at work. But as time passed and the children got older, I changed. Do you need to change? Spend time with your family and loved ones, for no reason at all but to be there. You'll witness miracles you might otherwise miss forever. 
Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. Y'all have encouraged us to go out, stand for the Word of God, stand politically. It's truly a blessing to hear how God is using Urban Family Talk. Just want to say I love everything that Urban Family does. Will you take a moment to share your story? Call 877-327-5647. That's 877-327-5647. Thanks. Before my brother went for this program, two words to describe him was angry and violent. I never told him this, but I thought he was going to die. And I really think this program saved your life. I'm proud of you. I love you, man. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Saving you money, I'm Linda Bell with the Fox Business Network. The school year has just begun, but college students and parents are already looking ahead to the 2019-2020 school year with the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. The FAFSA is the gateway to over $150 billion in federal financial aid, including grants and federal student loans. Rick Castellano, spokesperson for Sally May, says the early bird gets the worm. The FAFSA is available, becomes available on October 1st of 2018. And when I'm talking about being first in line, it's really that financial aid which is awarded on a first-come, first-served basis. There are limited funds for certain programs. Parents and students will need to gather important information for the application. Social security numbers, driver's license numbers, bank statements, uh, your 2017 tax returns, and then any other you know W-2 forms. And for the first time ever this year, Families can complete the FAFSA on a mobile device with the My Student Aid app. Saving you money, I'm Linda Bell, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. A money buddy, Maria, helps you to be accountable. And we all know accountability is so important. It helps us to stay focused and avoid distractions. But as you start to look for this money buddy, there's a few qualities I want to encourage you to have. Number one, choose wisely. Choose someone that you trust and respect, someone that understands you and can tell you no. Uh, But at the same time, you want to find someone that is also very clear and can be honest with you, that can tell you to stay on track. And so now you don't get distracted just because the mall's having a sale or something else is going on. It helps us to remain focused. The most important thing is if you're trying to save for the long term, you've got to be connected to your now. That means budgeting being aware of how much money is coming in and what does it take for you to run your household. So stay focused. I think economically, we got to focus on our own homes. We need a debt reduction plan, we need a spending plan, and we need an emergency fund for our homes. If we do that, we'll be okay. I think when you find someone that has more proficiency than you, you've got an opportunity to improve. But again, you've got to be honest. You've got to be willing to be open about your money weaknesses. And we all have those. And so being honest about it allows us to control it. You can't manage anything you're not aware of. So be open and honest. Studies have shown you increase your chances of success when you involve someone along with you as you chase that goal. So that was a fantastic interview on Fox News about this uh, amazing concept, which 
many of us already practice, many of us need to practice, and we can never be reminded too often, which is that you got to know what's going in and what's coming out and why. So in, in other words, you have to line item everything out. And w- as we begin to really get the full scope of how much waste goes on with our federal government, it's always instructive to kind of look at our budgets, which are far smaller and less complex than the federal budget, but can always use kind of a tune-up. And, and I thought his idea of having a financial buddy, someone who holds you accountable, which in in the case of a couple who are, when you're married, your financial buddy can be your spouse. But you can also get some mentoring from an individual who maybe is doing very, very well and might be willing to um, give you advice on how to get from point A to point B. There's also financial management classes that you can take. Um, In particular, there are some that are very, very good. Financial piece is one I can think of um, that that really, it it kind of outlines where your money should be going and how you get there. And then it puts you on the path to getting there. And not, it's not 10 years down the road, you you really see changes immediately. So I thought that was a really good clip. Turning back to the Kavanaugh allegations, and this is the last segment of the show. If you'd like to call in and comment on anything, please feel welcome. Um, We have call lines open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. And so you have Jonathan Turley, law professor. He's talking here about how there's there's a bit of rough stuff that went on with the actual presentation of the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh and that he he believes they were held to the last minute so that they could have the maximum negative impact and that what we're seeing in response to the FBI investigation coming to a close is really just a manifestation of a, a tactic that was employed that has not worked. It's number seven. Well, I think that the least convincing part of the Democratic case is that this was not being manipulated in terms of its timing. I think most people believe that this, uh, these allegations were held to the last minute, right before a vote. And I think there's some legitimate criticism for that. Um, and also, I think one can anticipate that one week is not going to satisfy many of the critics. The fact is that that most of these statements, if not all of them, were previously given to the committee. They're unlikely to change. And so the outcome of this investigation is unlikely to change many minds. And we're going to get to a point where we have to make a decision. If senators feel that the record is insufficient, they have a reason, I suppose, to vote on that basis. But to keep this open uh, indefinitely uh, is going to do, I think, an injustice to the nominee and to the process. So we have to come to some conclusion. And that's about that's that's what's about to happen. So I loved the fact that today's guests were able to kind of outline for us what the that Tom was able to outline what the the next steps in the procedure are. I thought it was really important that the uh, Republicans came out and were very strong in their denunciation of any more delays in this process. And that as they're moving through now, as this is occurring, that that it's good, good regular order that has to be employed. And, and I, I almost feel like for individuals who support the kind of violence and intimidation tactics that are being deployed against the senators, that it's really only strengthening their resolve. Have you ever been there where you're kind of on the fence on something and then someone very offensively attacks you 
or tries to push you in the other direction. They don't give you any credit for your own thought or mental faculties. It's just, look, you're wrong. You should do X, Y, and Z. And there's no basis behind it. It's just kind of a bully tactic. If you've ever been bullied on anything, you know it tends to make you dig in your heels in opposition. And I think I I see that in the Republicans. I see them their resolve is strengthening. Any of the ones that were kind of weak have been made more resolute by this process. And I do think it's going to have an unintended consequence in at the ballot booth in in November. Um it remains to be seen what that will be, but I, I do think it's going to have an impact. Let's go to the phones. We have Jackie calling in Tennessee. Thank you for calling the show today, Jackie. Thank you for taking my call. It's good to hear the updates as we go through this process. And I think yeah. we, because as a nation, whether we want to go through it or not, we have to go through it. Sort of like when people uh, have a blended family and the parents make the decision and the, if there are children, they don't really have a choice until <laughs> later on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it so is like that. I wanted to, I wanted to, to uh, express the parallel of three different people in the Old Testament who were four, actually. And hopefully people will, will be familiar with these or they will go and search it out. One was Daniel, who was thrown in the lion's den. He mm-hmm. did no wrong. His cohorts concocted this scheme and had the king to sign off on it. But the king didn't realize what it was until it was too late. Mm-hmm. So he had to go through with throwing, throwing Daniel into the lion's den. But Daniel came out. Mm-hmm. He even without, said to him before he went in, he said, your God, hopefully your God will save you. He was like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm bound to do this, but I'm hoping your God will save you, which was, I thought was pretty outstanding for him to say that. Yeah. And the, tra- the, the tragic side of it, or the, the, the God side of it also is that the very people who set him up and set the king up, unbeknownst to, to, to the king, were put in the same dilemma, and they didn't have God to return. Whatever their God was, mm-hmm. probably was themselves. Mm-hmm. Didn't hold them up, didn't, didn't protect them. Before their bodies hit the bottom of the, the lion's den, they were dead. Mm-hmm. And by the way, their families were thrown in too, just like they're going after Kavanaugh's family. And you know, they've been going after President Trump's. Not only him, but his family, his son, his young son. Yeah. Okay, so Daniel is one. Um, Moses is another one. When they got across the Red Sea and they complained against, against Moses and, and built that calf and all that, and, and he simply said, okay, those who are with Moses get on this side. The ones who are on the sons of Korah get on that side. And God beat the rest. Mm-hmm. Moses didn't even complain against them or anything. Daniel didn't complain against them or anything. And the the, um, the guys who got um, King David is is the third one. King David had been anointed to take the throne mm-hmm. because because of what happened with Saul. And those people did not like the fact that God put David in there. And long story short, even his own son tried to overthrow him. And rather than fight his son, he left. And all those people who came against David wound up getting the repercussion of their own actions. Why am I saying all these things? Because God is not mocked whatsoever anyone a man sows. It doesn't say a believer or non-believer. It says whatsoever a man sows, that's what he will reap. 
Mm. So the repercussion is coming back on Maxine Waters and all these other yahoos, I call them. It is really, really serious. They don't realize how serious it is because right now they're they're blind with power. Mm. Or they're blind and hungry for power. But all those things are coming back, and you and me and nobody else will be able to hold God's hand back and stop him from the consequences of their ways. King David had his, he had his um, come to come up in two, you know, when he, when he, when he made the wrong choice, but he repented. Mm-hmm. It's true. These, these, these guys, they're politically vicious and they are blinded by whatever, and they are not on a repentant trail. They will rather take America down in, in a, in a whatever, than to acquiesce and say, okay, y'all did really win. And we'll just, we'll just live to win another day. That's all. Uh, Jackie, you broke it down. You you not you didn't bring one story. You brought the examples from the Bible that show that not only does sin not pay, but sometimes the boulder that you set up to roll on your neighbor or your enemy rolls back on you. That's that's what the Bible says. And those three examples demonstrate that beautifully. Thank you so much for sharing that on the show and for calling in today. Thank you, Jackie. Mm, I okay. So that just goes to show you that that first of all, the Word of God is appropriate. And it has lessons for us to learn. And Jackie has just laid out three examples from the Bible where, first of all, it's a cautionary tale. If we're planning on setting somebody up or, or putting them in a position where, um, you know, the false allegations are going to fell them, if they have God on their side, oh, woe be unto you who does the setting up. Remember, Jackie mentioned in the first story where you have, you have the, these people setting up a man to to get tossed into the lion's den and he gets tossed in, stands around talking with angels in the lion's den and then comes out and they and their families get tossed in and they don't even hit the floor before they're all consumed. That is some serious wrath being poured out for individuals trying to harm. The Bible says, do not touch my anointed. So am I saying that Brett Kavanaugh is anointed and he's like some, you know, special? No, but I am saying that he has been wrongly maligned and accused falsely and that there are paybacks for that. And some of it, I think we're seeing with the investigations that have been launched. The Democrats asked for investigations. Well, investigations have been initiated, some of them into who leaked Judge Ford's testimony. Some of it has been launched into um, the you know, the timeline of how things have occurred. They've already nabbed the guy who docks the the senators. There's going to be more. The other thing I want to point out um, as we're going into the last couple minutes of the show, is there anybody else, because I certainly hadn't even thought of it, has anyone considered the fact that we haven't heard a peep from Mueller for weeks now? And that we probably won't hear a peep from him until after the election because he doesn't want to get stuck in a Comey moment where Comey made an announcement that, you know, Democrats feel like it's all Comey's fault that Hillary didn't win. And and that's not it. It, it, I'm sure it had a role. But um, the reason that a lot of Americans didn't vote for Hillary Clinton is because they didn't want her. And so, you know, I'm really interested to see what what is going to happen. What is the next step that occurs at this point? with the Mueller investigation. And, you know, when they're investigating, uh, when a prosecutor is investigating a crime about, you know, person A, and they uncover crimes 
for persons B through F. Persons B through F don't get off without a hit because they weren't the subject of the investigation. Everyone who's found to have done things wrong can have charges brought against them. You know, of course, there has to be standards have to be met, the preponderance of evidence, et cetera, et cetera. I am interested to know um, if there are going to be other people who are prosecuted, like Brett, uh, Bruce Orr and some of the others who, you know, did these things while they were working for the FBI or working for federal government, and they were clearly politically motivated while they were working in their federal jobs. I wonder if they're going to have any charges leveled against them. So it remains to be seen what will, what will occur. But suffice it to say, I'm interested. Maybe we can get... Um, I'm just making myself a little note here. Maybe we can get a guest on to talk about that. Uh, and not that I want the Miller investigation to go on longer, but let's face it. It's still going on. We haven't received the final report. Now that we're this close to the election, we're probably not going to get anything until afterwards. And it'd be great to know, like, how does an investigation that is at this stage, um, how does that wrap up? What are the possibilities? I love the timeline that we got from Tom Jipping. I'd love to see more of that, uh, you know, an explanation uh, of sorts, if you will, for the Mueller investigation. So I want to give you a preview for tomorrow is Friday, Friday. We're going to have Heather Long, who's an economics correspondent for the Washington Post. And she's going to go over the latest economic numbers and what it means for the midterms for us tomorrow. And uh, we're going to have any late breaking news and information that we can get to you uh, on the Kavanaugh confirmation. So uh, good night from the heartland. Stacy Washington, host of Stacy on the right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. God bless you and have a fantastic night. <laughs>